Hello, everyone. Welcome to Only Being You Unfiltered Season 3. Um, this episode is going to be another continuation on our season's focus of Roe v. Wade and the recent overturn that's occurred with the Supreme Court. Today, we're joined with two new guests, uh, Celeste Iroha and Campbell Walsh. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves, please? Sure, I'll go first. Um, so I'm Campbell Walsh. Um, I'm a high school student. I'm a junior. I'm in my junior year of high school. Um, and yeah. I, <clears throat> I'm Celeste. I am a senior in college at Trinity Washington University and I'm with only being you as an ambassador. Yay, awesome. Thank you so much, y'all, uh, for introducing yourselves. Um, today, we're going to have like an open-ended discussion like we did for the last two episodes. And as you probably know, based on the structure, the episodes are not necessarily something that is meant to spotlight one specific aspect of the Roe v. Wade situation. It's just overall providing a space for people to discuss their own opinions, experiences, and what they think are actionable steps to reach a wide-ranging impact in relation to this decision. So I think the first question I want to ask both of you is, what does Roe v. Wade mean to you? And what does this overruling mean to you? Um, I'll start again. Um, so I think that, like, the overruling of Roe v. Wade, it kind of signified to me, like, I had an understanding, like, before it was um, overturned, that kind of, like, maybe the system that we had in place it wasn't like the best and that it did like go against a lot of groups of people but I never thought that it would go against such like a big group of people like all women like 50 percent um of like the population never thought that you know democracy would kind of go against that and that it wouldn't work for such like a a big population of people. Um, so I think it just signaled to me that like, it's definitely not working on like a big wider level and that, you know, more people should get involved in kind of like working to fix what's broken. I, excuse me, I agree with what they what uh, Campbell said. I also feel like it's taking away from the women's rights, honestly, because Roe v. Wade was something that women could turn to if they had unexpected pregnancies or um, like rape and things of that nature. But the overruling really made that we had no rights anymore and that the Supreme Court really decided that the women's rights should be left in the people who sit in the highest court in the country. So I feel like the overruling basically said we had no choice of our own bodies and our own decisions that we had to make, whatever the situation might be. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, both of you, that's a great point. I think what's important to note is that both of you stressed on the fact that, you know, this is 50% of the population basically. Um, and that, you know, this group of people in like the highest place in the country are basically taking um, autonomy from 50% of the population. And I think that is a major concern. It's like, it is horrifying. And I think this just brings me to understanding why did they make this decision? Because I feel like we all know why they made this decision. 
and I think we also discussed this in prior episodes, but um, maybe we can just like go over this again. Um, you know, what are some reasons that maybe they decided to do this? Um, just understanding the way you're thinking, because honestly, that's the best way to go about this at this point. Yeah, I mean, I see a lot of people talking about like most of the Supreme Court was like elected by um, presidents who like didn't win the popular vote. Um, and there was a lot of work to like be able for like Trump specifically to be able to put as many judges like as he could in his four terms on the board while the same people who are like pushing for him to be able to put more people on the Supreme Court were the same people who are like, oh, these Democratic presidents shouldn't be able to put anybody on the Supreme Court or like shouldn't be able to put two people on the Supreme Court or something like that. And then they let, they were like pushing for Trump to be able to put, I think he put two or three people on the Supreme Court. Um, So it's definitely like, those very like hypocritical kind of like extreme thinking people who are really just being vocal. And then those people who feel like they're like kind of moderates or they're not like, um, what's it called? Like they just don't like politics that much. Those kind of people feel like they shouldn't get involved. But then when those people feel like they shouldn't get involved, even if they don't agree with it. It just lets those people who are extremists have more voice and have more power. So I think it's just a system of like, oh, well, it's not my problem, or I shouldn't get involved, or blank or blank or blank, you know? Yeah, I think what's actually interesting about this is like you mentioned about like Trump and how he was trying to push as many justices in the Supreme Court as possible. Um, I remember the backlash that occurred when Amy Coney Barrett was, you know, rushed into Supreme Court and the whole thing with the hearing and everything. And I think it's just, I think what the major like concern with that was that she, as someone who identifies as female and like has a female experience, um, understanding that now, like today, we're able to see that she literally voted to overrule or overturn Roe v. Wade and was part of that makes it very concerning because, you know, how, how is that, how, how is that possible? Um, it's appalling, you know? Um, so I think that is just something that people have been thinking about. And I think that's just something that's, you know, tracking through like the history of putting people in the Supreme court, I think an, a big problem is the fact that a lot of these just like justices don't have term limits. And so they, their power is really never unchecked other than the fact that there are other justices on the Supreme court. And at this point, most of the Supreme court justices lean towards one direction and not the other one. And there isn't an equal balance. Um, and so that's a problem too. I know a lot of people have been talking about like, you know, Biden wanting to pack the courts or like having Biden pack the courts would be a good idea. Um, and I think that might help in the situation just because we do need more justices. But what are y'all's thoughts on that? Um, you know. I've definitely seen stuff on people wanting to 
expand the Supreme Court from the nine justices to like 13 justices because I think there was something with like districts and stuff like that and that it would match a certain number of like districts that we had or something like that. I'm not 100% sure what the reasoning was, but I definitely think that the split being like, I think the split is like 6-3 Republican Democrat. Um, and that just doesn't match the like American system. It's like almost 50-50 leaning Democrat for the population of like American voters. So I definitely don't think it should be six to three. Yeah, I agree. I feel like we need to even it out. A lot of people just like, oh, having more of one side in the Supreme Court than the other is just not the American people's way. Or I don't know which elected official did say that, but um, he was really trying to push that like legislation in so Biden could actually figure out a way to even out the, the number of Republicans and Democrats and even maybe independents on the Supreme Court. And hopefully we'll get there, but maybe in the Maybe the next term, who knows, <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, I definitely think like, I think this is just a comment on like um, the voting system in general about how like the two party system, um, I think there should be put like a more importance on like voting and like knowing who you're voting for from like a younger age because like a lot of people um like the the blue wave or whatever they called it um like if you're a democrat just vote blue i think while that was probably needed to not reelect um trump who was like kind of like an extremist president while i think that was needed i don't think that should be what we have to do I don't think if you're a Democrat, you should just have to vote blue. I think that, like, there's a lot of independents who can't get nominated with the Democrat or Republican. But I think there's a lot of people who are in there that would do a really good job serving on, like, an elected court. But you never see independents get elected because no one researches who they're voting for, really. So I think there should definitely be, like, put... Uh, more importance on knowing who you're voting for and like researching it and so I think the majority of the the system that we have for like voting and electing people I think a lot of it is very messed up and like just pushes people who have a lot of money and pushes people to become extremists and to not be educated on who you're voting for Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. Just because one thing that you mentioned about the two-party system is very true because people don't vote for anyone other than like the Democrat or Republican candidates for the most part. You see very small percentages for like, I don't know, the Green Party or something like that, you know? Um, and it's just sad because a lot of these people, um, you never know, they might actually have good proposals, right? And they actually might be, fighting for things that you want them to want your leaders to fight for. They might be advocating for things that people in the current government are not advocating for right now. Like 
there's just so much more that people can do. And I think the most important thing is people don't vote. <laughs> like people just do not vote. People are not registered to vote. People just don't get out there and actually try to become involved in the legislative process. And that itself is a, its own problem of its own. And I feel like starting there itself is definitely a way that we can build up to, you know, maybe introduce some um, buffer against what the government is doing. But that being said, I just don't know what to do about, or one thing that's just been like making me feel weird is the fact that there are no term limits for Supreme Court justices. And in that case, that means that we need to elect different governments who, or different government leaders who have control over that, right? And so it all starts from the ground up and us being involved in our local communities and local organizations and, you know, connecting with local initiatives so that we can build our way up. Um, so yeah, do you guys have any tips for people who are watching on how to get involved um, in their own communities with relation to Roe v. Wade or just any causes that they care about so that they can elect people who might be representative of what they want? Um, personally, um, I know that Planned Parenthood, they have um, like na national, um, they have like a, Planned Parenthood National um, Advocacy Organization. And then you can contact like your state Planned Parenthood and they, most of the states have um, like action groups who are very connected to the Planned Parenthood and advocate for um, abortion justice and things like that. And then, you know, you have like your very, very local ones that you can always reach out to and ask if they need like um escorts or if they need like um like lodging things because a lot of abortion funds and local clinics they have volunteers who like can host people in their houses and who can drive people and who can help pay and who can just provide emotional support to anyone who's thinking about getting an abortion or has got an abortion and being connected in there is a great way to start. And a, just there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of different things that you can help with in those places. Yeah, I agree. And uh, also social media, because everything is so on social media now. So I feel like people can have access to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever social media platform they feel more comfortable with, because all the advocacy organizations out there usually have like a national channel or local state state channel so people can just really get involved that route whatever um issue they're passionate about whether it be like the abortion overruling the supreme court so there's a lot of ways that people can get involved and social media has made it so much easier to get involved for other people yeah i think that's awesome like both of you guys uh what, what you mentioned is great i mean i think the fact about Planned Parenthood and also social media, um, Planned Parenthood is a great resource. Uh, they have great things like listed for them that they help with. And I think it's very, it's a very valuable thing to use. And social media in itself is its, its own asset in many ways, because there's no better way to spread a message to so many people right now, other than through social media. And it's not just that, but I feel like a lot of people blindly post things without actually reading things that they're posting. Um, 
which falls into performative activism and that whole other beast where, you know, people just try to be trendy, like the Black Square, like Blackout Tuesday. And people were not even posting with the right hashtag. And people were like, oh, just hashtag Blackout Tuesday and putting in the wrong place. And then that completely obstructed access to BLM resources and stuff like that. And people just didn't care because they just posted Black Square and they went on with their days and never again did you hear from them. So I think, you know, becoming aware of what you're posting, making sure that you're reading up on it and not just like stopping at posting, but, you know, trying to make, make yourself as involved within your community. And then also keep posting because posting is important. Um, but making sure everything is in check is, I think, key at this point, at least. Because um, we've seen what activism can do, right? And we've seen what local initiatives can do and how much social media can do on its own. So it's pretty crazy, but I think we can all work together to do something. So, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to bring attention to in light of Roe v. Wade? Um, any resources that you would recommend? Any tips for people watching on how to become involved in local communities, initiatives to start? Um, you can add any other comments right now. Um, so on social media, I know that a good resource is um, there's an account called Plan C Pills and um, also an account called Aid Access. And both of those accounts both educate and help provide um, abortion pills to anyone in any of the states, um, even states that like abortion um, is very restricted or is outlawed because in the majority of those states, it doesn't talk about self-managed abortions. It just talks about like getting them and going to the doctors and stuff like that. So those two accounts are great resources um, if you're in need. Yeah, thank you so much, Campbell. Um, Celeste, do you have any other resources to add? Not at the moment. I just think, honestly, the ones we listed, and honestly, Google searching is very beneficial too. So just like if you want to search for anything online, how to get involved with movements, how to start movements, Google is probably a good way to go too because they have recent and most active organizations and ideas how to get involved in your communities. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, a few other Instagram things to check out, uh, you know, Planned Parenthood, the ones that Campbell and Celeste mentioned. And um, there's a few others as well, but uh, we'll put them in the link for a description for a podcast and you will be able to access them with a click. And yeah, so thank you so much, Celeste and Campbell, for coming to this podcast episode with me. This is Suresh Kulkarni, founder and creative director at Only Being You and Only Being You Unfiltered, signing off. Thank you.